Welcome on in to the Double Check Podcast. I am Colin. And I'm Brett. And we've made it past episode 10. This is episode 11, Brett. We just broke the statistics. We broke them all. We just broke them all. We just shattered them. Shattered those statistics. Wow. We didn't use uh, performance-enhancing drugs to, to shatter those statistics. Nope. We are just two guys. Pure testosterone in here. <laughs> That's what we used. That's what we used. Uh, yeah, pure testosterone and um, homegrown HGH, not supplemented, just what our body produces itself. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit and stuff like that. Yeah, well, of course. Uh, I shouldn't say that so flippantly. We we should not take the Holy Spirit for granted. But he is, uh, I, I think, the one that we trust to lead and produce and advertise this show more than, uh, more than any other. Yep. Speaking of advertisement, though. Perhaps the Holy Spirit can work through uh, places such as Facebook, where we have a page now. We do. We yeah, do. Colin set up a page for us, so we got that. Uh, so make sure you like us on Facebook. Uh, just search Double Check Podcast, and you will see our bright, shining faces on there. Yeah, that's right. We post a lot of stuff on there. Uh, a lot of times we we, we have a website, too. Um, it's through Wix. Yeah. We, we're doing the free website right yeah. now. Oh, yeah. So whenever we start to get some income, maybe we'll purchase a URL. We are still looking for sponsors for the Theses yeah. of the Week, as well as for uh, the Double Check Podcast hotline. Yep. And all that would go, I would, we could actually get, you know, a website that is not long and convoluted. But there's a nice convenient link on the Facebook website. That would be the easiest way to the Facebook page. That's the easiest way to get to the website. There is. Yeah. And we've started posting a couple blogs and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the, the Colin just posted a blog. I posted a blog a couple of weeks ago that was actually something that I did at my church uh, that I thought might be useful for a lot of people. So we're going to – we might produce some extra content there. Uh, yeah. All this is a labor of love and we want to make sure that people have access to it if it helps them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And the the blogs that we post really are, uh, for the most part, sort of expanded um, theses or expanded answers or um, sometimes just things that we uh, have been working through in our own lives, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So check it out. Check it out. It's great stuff. I liked the page myself, so – I can follow uh, everything that Brett puts out there. Uh, you put stuff out too. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. All, All right. right. You ready to get flipping? I'm ready. Uh, who's who's calling? I flip. You call. I'm calling. Yeah. You're, uh, I am calling. Call, you're calling. <laughs> oh, you're, how many times are we going to use that joke? I don't know. It's going to wear thin, so let's uh, let's put a kibosh on it for a second. Okay. Well, one one time for every five episodes. All right. Okay. That's fair. That's, That's fair. Good. Okay. So uh, I am going to call Tails because Tails never fails. Tails has been the last two. Let's see. That was a terrible. That was not – it didn't even – Guys. Hey, didn't you – did you see – what was it? I think it was in the Super Bowl one year. The uh, Or maybe it was like a game that went to overtime or something. No, I remember this. The flip that didn't flip. Yeah, and the referee said something about how it – you know, it wasn't a valid flip. Yeah, or something. I he, can't remember what he, he flipped. Said. He was like, "No, it didn't flip. It didn't flip." And they yeah. did it again, and it didn't. Like the, they showed slow mo replay. The coin just went up flat, came down flat. That's what just happened. Yeah, in this recording studio, right then. Okay, let's try it again. Okay, we're good. That was a valid flip, and it was tails again. That's three tails in a row. Wow, that's got to be some kind of. We got to look up what the record is for most tails in a row. And I'm just going to continue to call tails until that record snaps. Look, 
We're going to be here a while. We're shattering the statistics. We're shattering the coin flip records. That, yeah, there you go. No, you know what? I've deferred most of the times. I'm going to be selfish today, and I'm going to go go for it here. Go for it. Um, and I'm going to tell you to make mine a virgin. Because to me, one of the most intriguing aspects about Christmas is the virgin birth. And I know that this can be a struggle for some people to accept, but there is actually a biblical reason as to why a virgin birth was necessary. See, in Genesis 3.15, when God makes a declaration of war on Satan, that involved the promise of a kinsman redeemer of Adam, and that was the Messiah. He would be the seed of the woman. And it's interesting to note Satan's repeated attempts to eradicate the messianic line from Eve onwards throughout history, from Cain and Abel and the flood of Noah to the slaughter of infants in Egypt, Satan has attempted to interrupt the royal line even to the slaughter of the babes in Bethlehem. But I imagine that Satan thought he had gained a major victory during the reign of Jeconiah. Now, the kings of both Israel and Judah went from bad to worse, and ultimately God pronounced a blood curse on Jeconiah and his descendants and thus on the royal line. Jeconiah had led the people so far away from the Lord that eventually God sent Jeremiah to declare to him in Jeremiah 22:30, quote, This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper, none will sit on the throne of David or rule any more in Judah. Now, I suspect that Satan and his angels threw a massive party and had a big celebration at that point because the line of the Messiah had already been narrowed at this point to not only being through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but also through David. Except now there's a blood curse on the line through David. So how can the Messiah be in the royal line and yet not be subject to the blood curse? The only solution is found in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The solution is a virgin birth. And as Satan was celebrating, I imagine that God leaned over to heaven's angels and said, yo, man, check this out. He ain't going to see this coming. The answer emerges in the differing genealogies of Jesus Christ recorded in the Gospels. Matthew, as a Levite, focuses his gospel on the messiahship of Jesus, and he presents him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Thus, Matthew traces the legal line from Abraham, as any Jew would, through David, and then through Solomon, the royal line, to Joseph, the legal father of Jesus. On the other hand, Luke, as a physician, focuses on the humanity of Jesus, and he presents him as the Son of Man. Luke traces the bloodline from Adam, the first man, through to David, and his genealogy from Abraham through David is identical to Matthew's. But then after David, Luke departs from the path that Matthew takes, and he traces the family tree through a different son of David— the second surviving son of Bathsheba, Nathan. 
down through Heli, the father of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. And one should also note the exception to the law which permitted inheritance through the daughter if no sons were available, and she married within her tribe. It's recorded in the book of Numbers that the daughters of Zelophehad had petitioned Moses for a special exception. Later on, when they entered the land under Joshua, the girls go to Joshua and they say, hey, check the record, man, we have an exception. And they were granted an inheritance in the land. I believe it was C.I. Schofield who first noted that the claims of Christ rely on this particular loophole granted to the family of Zelophehad in the Torah. You see, Heli, Mary's father, apparently had no sons. And Mary, she married within the tribe of Judah. So Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, of the house and lineage of David, through both Mary and Joseph. Thus, he carried the legal title to the throne of David. But because he was virgin born, he was born before Joseph and Mary had relations, he thus circumvented the blood curse of Jeconiah. Now, to me, these details are what make the virgin birth such an intriguing aspect of the Christmas story. It signifies that every detail in the Torah, and in the entire Bible for that matter, has a direct link to Jesus Christ. The volume of the book is written of him. This was no afterthought or reactionary remedy. It was first announced in the Garden of Eden. It was first planned before the creation of the world. And the scripture predicts every last detail of it with astonishing precision, centuries before it even happened. The Bible is the only religious book ever written which can claim that it has fulfilled prophecy, that it records something before that thing happens. So if nothing else, the virgin birth should remind us this Christmas of the incredible, unmatched integrity and precision of the Bible. It is truly deserving of being called the Word of God. All right, excellent. And I was starting to formulate in my head what someone who might argue with this would ask, and I I was beginning to bring up about Scripture and the Word of God, and then that's where you ended things. And I think that's a, an appropriate place to to have our line of questioning. I think everything hinges on the validity of our written Scriptures here. So what are you going to say to a person who, using this example, would say that someone went back changed the prophecy, perhaps, or they changed the circumstances of Jesus's birth to make it look like it fit all these loopholes. What are you going to, what do you say to someone? To them, it's more plausible that that happened. The, the changing scripture on the back end to make everything line up than what, what actually is being claimed happening. Well, if you're talking about it in terms of plausibility, you have to consider the the supporting documentation that the Bible has in terms of the number of documents 
and the uh, the non biblical documents, the historical documents from around the time of the birth of Jesus um, that support the scripture. And so if you're talking about somebody going back and changing the prophecies in the Old Testament, and you can put aside, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls and all the documentation that that g- confirms um, the dates of those, of those documents being uh, written centuries before Christ, but you would have to say – this person who went and changed this, or this group of people went and changed the, the prophecies, they wouldn't have to just go and change Isaiah. They would have to go and change Jeremiah and Daniel and uh, Ezekiel and um, the, the writings of Moses, the, the, the Torah, the first five books of, of the Bible and the historical books, you know, First Samuel and, and Chronicles. And um, they would have to go pretty much through the entire Old Testament, 39 books, and make alterations to point to, uh, to to Jesus. So that in and of itself is just seems like a massive undertaking that the, the only people who would do that is the early Christians. And the early Christians, they didn't have the resources to, uh, to, to do that. And that, that's, that's the other aspect that uh, I would bring up with that person is like, who's this group of people that we're talking about? Are we, are we talking about the early Christians, the people who majority of them were slaves? They had no political influence at all. They were basically fighting for their lives because they were in a religion that uh, was illegal in the Roman Empire at the time for the first three centuries of their existence. And they were being put to death and martyred uh, for for their beliefs in Jesus. Doesn't seem likely that they would be able to go back and, and change all these prophecies. The Romans wouldn't want to do it because they wouldn't want to garner any support for for this this guy Jesus who had caused all all this uprising. The the Jewish people certainly wouldn't want to do it. So I mean, who who are we proposing went and, and changed this? I think that for for that to be the case, there is just not not good logic behind it. There is more reasons not to believe that, more good reasons not to believe that than there are good reasons to believe that. Okay, so I can see that someone wouldn't be making any headway with that in your mind if if they were to bring that up. So I think something else that they might appeal to. I know this is all a little bit of speculation, but you you say in here now, I suspect that Satan and his angels threw a massive celebration, meaning after the uh, the the ending of, of that bloodline, because the line of the Messiah had been narrowed at this point, um, but also through David, and now there's a blood curse on the line of David. Okay. I think that so, someone may come up with, and this doesn't really have anything to do with your thesis, but they may say something like, well, you know... Don't you think Satan would know what was going to happen? Don't you think Satan would uh, uh, Satan knows what is going to transpire with Jesus and be able to do something about that if if they're really in this locked in this eternal battle? Well, the short answer is no. I don't think that he would. The long answer is I think that there is a very common misunderstanding about Satan. Um, and about who he is and what capabilities he has, he is not equivalent to God. 
He is a created being. God created Lucifer, who rebelled because he wanted to be like God. So he is not omnipotent. He is not all-knowing. He's not all-seeing. He's not omnipresent. He is a created being. And you, even if you, if you look closely at Scripture, you can see Satan's strategies in, in the book of Job, it gives us a, a really good window into this. Anything that the devil wants to do to Job, he has to go to God and get permission for this. And that, that might come as a shock to some people too, that the, Satan has access to heaven. He has to go before God and make a report. And in the book of Job, we see him go before Job and he, he, he's the accuser of the brethren. Even today, he goes before God and he accuses Job and says, if you, you've blessed this man abundantly, if you take everything away from him, this man's going to curse you. Well, God says, all right, go ahead. You'll see. He goes, he takes everything away from him. Job doesn't curse him. So wouldn't Satan know that that's what's going to happen? No. Satan, does, Satan is <laughs> as oblivious to, uh, to the plans and purposes of God as you and I are. He is a created being. He is just wants to have that same power. That's, that's why he rebelled and, and led a third of the angels away. So I, I, I think a proper understanding of Scripture would easily show that Satan is, uh, is not – does not have those capabilities. Yeah, and I'm, that's not really Christmas specific or really the point of your thesis here. But I wanted to bring that out because that is a very wide misconception that they that people tend to elevate Satan to the level of God. And uh, whenever you put Satan in his right place, a lot of the power that he possesses over people. Uh, begins to diminish because they actually realize that, you know, he can't be everywhere at once. So maybe that's not actually what's happening here or something of the like. Right. And now I just want to add one more thing to that, you know, uh, because this is another misconception. Um, when you think about Satan being a created being, a lot of people say, well, why would God create this evil creature? He didn't create him evil. He was perfect when he was created. He was the chief of angels. He was in charge of the music in heaven. But he, he wanted the adoration and the worship that only God is worthy of. And that corrupted him. So when God created him, he didn't create him evil. But just like you and me, he created him with a will of his own. And Satan became evil uh, through his own will. He was in charge of the music. That leads me to think about devil music. That's where the phrase came from, devil music. Am I right? Uh, sure. Well, there's, <laughs> no, no, there's, sure there's a great song. Uh, I'm into like Christian rap and stuff. And I think this was K-9. He had a, a song called Interview with the Devil. Uh, where he talks to the devil, and one of the lines that de the devil says to him is, in heaven, I was in charge of the music, but here, I'm a part of the music. So 
He's a part of the music down here. Oh, he's in the music. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So that's that. Do you have a direction? I know we're kind of cl- – we're bookending our Christmas discussions. This uh, this podcast is getting released on Christmas Eve. So we're kind of bookending this. Do you have anything that you want to share about next time? Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to get back into um, sort of talking about – life theology and culture, and uh, I, I have a lot of thoughts um, on church culture, and um, I, I'd like to get into some of those. But first, I think I'm going to take a little bit of time to talk about the Magi, even after Christmas, uh, and I think that that's appropriate because the Magi didn't show up till like two years later. I think that's great, yeah. Yeah. That, I was literally about to say if that is appropriate because— they weren't there on Christmas night. Yeah, so we'll we'll still be sort of on the subject of Christmas with at least with my part next week. All right, excellent. So I'm going to talk a little bit about feelings that I've had about this Christmas season and a little bit of background about me. I really enjoyed Easter for a long time. I mean, I still enjoy Easter, Resurrection Day. Because I feel like that is uh, the ultimate purpose and the ultimate focal point of all of creation is is that event right there. So I was always a, a big Easter Resurrection Day fan and uh, Good Friday – I mean Good Friday the whole weekend. And I was like, oh, yeah, Christmas is whatever. Um, you know, Jesus came, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, him dying and being resurrected, resurrected That's that's the stuff right there. Uh, and it was about three or four years ago I was uh, teaching on Christmas. I was asked to come and do a, a Christmas lesson somewhere, and uh, I was in the book of Isaiah, and I was teaching a prophecy about Jesus. And I was, at the end of, of this particular passage, it says, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And I was exploring what zeal meant. Um, and so I've kind of been wrestling with this this Isaiah being the studying in Isaiah prophecies about Jesus uh, and not really just setting with a Christmas story and being done with it. The the purpose and intent behind Jesus coming. And so this Advent season, I've been doing a lot of studying about prophecies of Jesus. I've actually been teaching this in uh, some of my my lessons that I have with with my youth. My, my middle and high school students. And this Advent season, we talk about what Advent actually is. Advent is the time of year where we look and we anticipate the coming of Christ. And yeah, Jesus has already come in real life, but we are looking forward to the time that Jesus uh, is coming, like as if Jesus is going to uh, be born again. And in the prophecies of Isaiah, all prophecy is about looking forward to the things that are to come. And it, during the season, we're anticipating the coming of our Lord Jesus. And it's not just the fact that he's being born. What's, uh, what I've really come to realize, and maybe I'm behind the behind the times and I know that I am, is putting together the fact that Advent is not just about Jesus being born. Advent is also about Jesus coming again the second time. And so during Christmas season, looking back and, and, and seeing how people awaited the first coming of the Lord and how we could mirror the, 
the waiting and anticipation of the second coming of the Lord. And so I want to read a passage of Scripture. This is Isaiah 40, 1 through 5. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of forced labor is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All right, so this is a prophecy that's given to Isaiah. And the, the first two two verses that I read, uh, it starts out, comfort, comfort my people. That's a directive to Isaiah from God. He says to go comfort the people. Well, pastors have two different types of jobs. They, they, they're comforters and shepherders. They also have to tell it how it is, right? And sometimes confront people. Whenever you have to comfort someone, a lot of the time, like right here, Isaiah has to go comfort people because their iniquity has been pardoned. Right? There is something bad about them. There is something sinful about them to begin with. And the good news is that they that it is being pardoned. And so they have to be comforted. Well, we don't like to think about our iniquity a lot of times. And so here the comforting is not as glorious as what it could be. We have to own up to something in order to be comforted. And so that is... That plants a seed in us. And so let me let me go through the next, and I'll come back to that. The next verse is, verse 3, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. This is a prophecy that's, that, is, uh, that points towards John the Baptist. Now let's talk about John the Baptist for a second. John the Baptist, his baptism, he's, he's making a straight highway for for Jesus, right? He's the one that is pointing and saying, here's the Messiah. He's the one that's going out in the wilderness to prepare the way. His baptism is a baptism of repentance. And so now we come back to iniquity and sinfulness. We have to realize our iniquity, our sinfulness, prior to being comforted, prior to Jesus coming we have to understand people had to repent through this baptism of repentance. And so in the same way that people had to repent before they get the, the ultimate comforter, the ultimate savior, as we are in this Advent season, and we, yes, we're thinking about the first coming of Christ, but we're thinking about the second coming of Christ ultimately. This Advent season is not just about rainbows and sunshines of a, the comfort of a Savior that is to come again. It has to be about our turning away from sin through repentance. We have to realize who we are. You don't get the comfort of the Savior without realizing who we are before. So this Advent season, and I know it's, it's December 24th, but we still have a day here. As we think about the coming of the Lord a second time, just as he just in a similar way that he came in the first time, we need to repent and prepare ourselves because we don't get the real comfort of the Savior without understanding what we are getting comforted about. 
and that is that our iniquity is going to be pardoned. Jesus, if we're if, if we're sitting here, we're thinking about the baby Jesus coming. Our our iniquities, our sinfulness is about to be pardoned through this child. He's not going to do it here in the manger. He's going to do it 33 years later. But we have to realize what that means. And so now as we prepare our hearts, I say that we need to prepare our hearts through repentance, knowing that the Savior is going to come again a second time. And it's not just about this nice, cheesy story about a virgin birth. This is about the ultimate purpose of all creation and that this will, he will come again. That is a lot to unpack there. That's very, very deep. Um, And I just want to thank you for sharing that. Now, you talk about this passage in Isaiah 40 and how we need to prepare uh, our hearts for Advent as we remember the birth of Christ, but also to uh, prepare for his second coming, um, and that should involve repentance as well. Um, Now, for those who have accepted Jesus as the Messiah, do you think it's as important for them to observe repentance if they're already in Christ as it is for uh, those who have not accepted the Messiah? Is there even a level of importance when it comes to repentance? What are, what are your thoughts on that? I think uh, it's important for people to know that repentance is not a one-time thing. It is a continual state of being. It uh, We've talked about our sin nature before on this program. And as long as we are on this earth, we're going to have this sin nature. And so, yes, there is there is kind of that, that moment where you say, I repent and I'm going to turn towards Jesus. And some people call that uh, your conversion. For me, that moment was just whenever I realized what I believed uh, and I just gave into it, right? There, there's that moment, that moment of first repentance. But repentance is a an attitude of always realizing who you are in light of God and choosing to turn away from your own desires and move towards him. And so what I'm saying is Advent season is a time where we can remember that. It's a mark on the calendar where we can, we can say, Maybe I should have been doing this a little bit more. I'm going to do it right now because this is a this is a great time to prepare my heart for uh, you know the story of Jesus coming again, but also you know just to do some heart work because he's going to come again, and if he doesn't come again before I die, I'm going to see him right. Uh, so that's what I'm talking about with with repentance. All right. Now, if you'll excuse me just a little bit, because I want to veer us off course, because this is something that went into my mind as you were as you were reading this. Okay. Um, through through this passage, he starts off talking about uh, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her. And he's talking specifically to the Jews. Then, when he gets down to verse four. Um, he talks about every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be re- revealed, and all people, so not, not just my people, Israel, all people are now going to see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's put a pin in that for a second, okay? okay? All people. Yep. Now, we've talked about our sin nature on this program before. Another uh, theological question is the incarnation. Yep. 
So can you just, for our listeners, talk about the incarnation and what that means? So the incarnation is the idea that Jesus took on flesh and, and bones and blood and is on this earth. He was he, he is uh, God uh, and he was not flesh and bones until this moment where he came to earth uh, born of the virgin. So the incarnation is, is that God is with us and that he is still truly God. He, he still possesses those same characteristics, but also that he is truly man at the same time. And so that is, that is a miracle in and of itself that that could, that could happen. So he is God and man. Yes. That's, that's significant. Now, going back to what we put a pin in a moment ago, this, I don't know how you read this, but in Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 4 through 5, when he talks about every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I read that as uh, Isaiah is talking about his return to the earth when he's coming to set up his kingdom. Do you, do you read it the same way? I definitely see verse 5 that way. I don't know if it has to be applied to only the second coming. I think that it could also be – I'm I'm not a prophecy expert. I'm not an Isaiah expert. Just looking at it right here, uh, I could see how – Verse verse four, uh, talking about valley, mountain, uneven ground, rough places, is that God is leveling the playing field. God is removing obstructions so that the glory of the Lord can appear and all humanity together will see it. I think that there's good reason to think that God is continuing to work right now before God uh, before Jesus' second coming, so that all humanity together can see the glory of the Lord. Now, whether they whether they accept the glory of the Lord or not is a different – it doesn't say anything about bowing the knee to the glory of the Lord. It just says that all of humanity together will see it. Now, there there will be the time of the second coming. Everyone's going to see it and it's going to be unmistakable, right? But uh, I don't think you have to apply that direct – this only to the second coming. I think this is the first coming too because Jesus in his life – removes the obstructions of the valley, the mountain, the oven, uneven ground, even the small rough places that would get in between us and God. He does that through his life, his teaching, and ultimately through his death and resurrection. And through that death and re- resurrection, you see the glory of the Lord appear. And through it, not just the Jews anymore, but all of humanity has access to it. Okay. So when you, when you talk about it in terms of his first coming, then you're figuratively, he's, he's raising up every valley making every mountain. But there are, you know, this in conjunction with other prophecies, there are, he talks about there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And the earth is going to be changed. And when his kingdom comes back, and this is where I want to tie my first question about the incarnation and this question together. In the incarnation, Jesus is both God and man. At Jesus' return and the new heaven and the new earth being set up, the kingdom that is on this earth, that's heaven and earth. On the one hand, you have God and man, and he is ruling over heaven and earth 
in what is called in, in Revelation the New Jerusalem, this holy city. It's one place, mm, yep. it, both dwelling together. Yeah. So can you just uh, speak on that just a little bit? Yeah. This reminds me of uh, Colossians 1 where it talks about everything uh, was made by, through, uh, and for Jesus. And the word that they use is uh, whenever it says by Jesus, like Jesus is the prototype for all creation, right? Like everything that we see in creation in its original state is supposed to just scream Jesus to us, supposed to scream God to us. Uh, And, of course, sin entered the world and uh, has slowly been degrading that through time. But we were still made by the by the blueprint, by the, the prototype of Jesus. And so whenever – and this is just now – your line of questioning is making me be even more in awe of God, that Jesus being incarnate now, fully God and fully man, that is now the prototype for the new heavens and the new earth being brought together. And I've never put that together until you just asked that question. So even as creation was made by the prototype of Jesus, Jesus has now taken on this incarnate nature, and now creation will be made in the same prototype as that again. And there was no real question to it. I think that's just mind-shattering, and we should be in the literal sense of the word uh, awestruck like struck with literal awe where we can't say anything other than, man, that I don't know of a human that could ever think of something like that. Amen. All right. So where are you going next time, Brett? I don't know where I'm going. I'm, I think I'm done with my Christmas stuff right now. I've got an idea of some more serious topics, um, some things to do with relationships and marriage and, and stuff like that. I don't know if I want to attack that quite yet. There's there's a lot of study that I want to do. Um, but whether it's next episode or maybe four or five episodes down the way, we're going to eventually get there with some marriage, some relationship stuff. So that gives you a little taste. All right. And because you said a little taste of that, that means we have come to the end of our time together. Uh, we want to thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, make sure that wherever you're listening to your podcast, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is, make sure that you subscribe. Make sure that you send us a comment. Um, we would love to hear from you and make sure that you leave us a rating. But uh, come on, man, make sure it, it, it's a five-star rating. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. That could be your gift to us. That, that We would love that gift and we would gladly accept it. Um, but we wish you and yours a very happy holiday. Make sure you go around singing Little Drummer Boy. If you see Brett, make sure you sing uh, sing a verse or two to him. Yes, uh, I, I will listen to it all day long. <laughs> and uh, we will see you next time. All right.